First Timothy chapter three, beginning at verse 14. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who is revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. This is the word of the living God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that our hope springs eternal and that we can sing whatever we have, wherever we've been in Christ, we can sing hallelujah. And Lord, as we come now to your word, we believe, we confess that this is your word. Inerrant, infallible, God-breathed, and sufficient. So Lord, would you equip us? Would you build us? Would you convict us? Would you convert us? Would you accomplish your will through your word today? And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, Lord, even today, would you speak? Father in heaven, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Verse 15 is the, one of the most significant verses in the book of First Timothy. Uh, I referenced it at the very beginning. I'm sure all of you remember explicitly the first sermon from this series where I introduced First Timothy. It's a joke. You can smile. I don't expect you to remember verbatim. Um, <laughs> there's another. <laughs> uh, thanks. Thanks. Jokes. Uh, that this is a central verse that Paul is writing to Timothy in Ephesus, right? Remember what's happening. Paul has sent Timothy to Ephesus to be his apostolic emissary, to be the the representative of the apostle until the apostle comes. Uh, That Timothy is there. He shows up, uh, sent by um, Paul to do Paul's work. So Timothy is like an apostle, but not really an apostle. He's like a pastor, but not quite a pastor. He's an elder, but he's, he's kind of occupying a very essential, but kind of a niche call. And so Paul's saying, I'm going to come to Ephesus. Until I get there, confront the false teachers, teach sound doctrine, set the church in order, Set things right because I'm writing in case I'm delayed. I'm writing so that someone may know how they're supposed to operate themselves in the household of God. He's writing so that people will know, churches will know how they ought to conduct themselves. And a beautiful truth that's really not the point of the sermon, but I I just want to highlight it at the start here. A beautiful truth is that God's providential hindering of Paul gives the occasion of the writing of God's word, right? Paul, Paul is hindered. 
He's not able to get there, so he writes so that Timothy will know. And because Paul is hindered by God's providence, we don't know particularly what hinders Paul. But God's providence hinders him so that he must write. And because he writes, we have God's word right before us. Sometimes when God's providence comes into your life and you're not able to do the things you feel like you ought to be able to do. The things that you want to do. Or the things that you wish you could do or or do them in the manner that you wish you could do them. You need to have the confidence that while you might not be able to see it right then... God is working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that includes you. And that includes during the seasons of hard providence where you're feeling, I just want to. And as a pastor, I find a lot of hope in this. Where you just want to do and you want to be and you want to accomplish. And and it doesn't quite work like that. I know your life is like the same. So God's providence is even the hard ones where we're not able to do the things we wish we could. Those are often the occasions of his greatest works in our lives. So surrender your life to his. But he writes so that one may know how to conduct himself in the household of God. But then Paul begins to unpack what is that thing? What is the household of God? And he uses these three parallel images uh, or, or phrases. He says the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So what is the church? It is the household of God. It is the church of the living God. And it is the pillar and support of the truth. When, it's, when Paul says that the church is the household of God, or it could be the house of God. Uh, throughout the New Testament, we are, we are reminded that the church is not is not, is not, just so we understand, it's not the building. I know it's, it's common phraseology, or it's easy, I'm just going to church. Hey, I've got to go up to the church and drop something off. I've got to go up to the church and see the pastor. I've got to go up to the church and talk to Blanche. Let me call the church, okay? And I'm not saying that's altogether wrong. You just need to have it in the back of your head that that is not the sum of the church. That in the New Testament, the church is made up of many members, living stones, living members, which are you. The church is the body of Christ, the household of God. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul talks about, I mean, Peter. 1 Peter, it's Peter who talks about it, not Paul. Uh, we always, Paul wrote so many things in the New Testament. So, uh, but Peter says uh, that we are like living stones being put together into a living house. That the church is made up not of brick, mortar, wood, stone, concrete, and steel. But the, the church is made up of people. Redeemed. Bought back. Sanctified by the blood of Christ, repenting of their sins and confessing upon Christ that you are being fit together to be the temple of the living God. You know, twice in his discourse with the Corinthian church, Paul got that one right. Paul says right once he says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Once he uses it in the singular, which is often what we want to tell our tell our PA, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. So don't eat the Big Mac. 
right? Which is not exactly the context that Paul has in mind. That's not this sermon. But we talk about that, that we are the temple individually. Individual Christians are the, the, temp, the temple or the tabernacle, the residing place of the Holy Spirit. That when God pours out the Holy Spirit, he says, I'm not going to live in places. I'm going to live in people. But then later on in chapter, I mean, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that you, and, he, and if you were writing uh, in, the, in, the, in the new Southern Standard Version, y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So there's a, there's a twin truth that cannot be divided. A twin truth that you individually, Christian, born again, blood-bought, repenting of sin, new life in you, confessing Christ, believing Christ, pursuing Christ, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Twin truth to that, we, in a way similar to, but distinct from that truth, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We together. And so when we are the household of God, it means we are the house of God. We're, 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 we're part of his, we're around the table. If I trip and fall, forgive me. Uh, we're, we're the trip, we are the, we're the trip, we are the household. We're around the table with God. We're being built together into his family, into his house, his, his dwelling place. That church you are meant to be, you're meant to be a foretaste of when God's glory dwells amongst us. We should be a, a hint of heaven in the way that we love one another, in the way that we serve one another, in the way that we serve the world around us. We should be a hint of heaven in our holiness and in our worship. We are the household, the oikos. That's not, that, that, that is Greek yogurt. Uh, but before it was Greek yogurt, it meant house or household in Greek. Um, that you are the oikos, the household of God. And if, and if we're the household of God, that means God is present. And if God is present, then we ought to act like it. And he should be our focus and our joy. So we would know how to conduct ourselves in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. Sounds like a pretty innocuous statement, right? Innocent sounding. Um, but this is profound. That the church is the, the congregation, the ecclesia. I'm sorry, getting a lot of Greek. I didn't intend that. But the, this is the gathering, the assembly of the living God. So as God is our, the one who dwells in our midst, the one who dwells within us individually and he dwells within our midst, that this church is not of you. Or another way to say this, this is a, uh, a genitive of possession. So that this, the church belongs to God, to the living God. And if we're going to bore down on that, the church isn't yours. I don't care how long you've been a member. I don't care if your granddaddy and your great-granddaddy are buried in the foundation like Jimmy Hoffa and nobody knows it. It, doesn't, it does not belong to you. One of my pet peeves, uh, and there's, there's one up there, so don't, don't knock it. It is a pet peeve, though. If you go into a church and there is a little plaque on everything. Have you, I'm going to tell you a story in a second. 
Uh, there's a little plaque on everything where this is donated in honor of or in memory of, right? You can, you know, certain churches, you can go down the pews. You can go into the Bibles in the back of the back of the pews, the hymnals in the back of the pews. You can go down the, the stained glass windows. I've seen it on pulpits. I've seen it on pianos. I've seen it on crosses. I've seen it. I've seen it everywhere. I've seen it on benches that aren't even in the sanctuary. In my, in my last church, I'll tell this story because the dear saints are with the Lord now. Uh, so they won't be offended. And I'm not going to tell their names, but um, in our, at my old church, there's a you guys know. If you know, you don't say, Charles and Geraldine, <laughs> uh, that then at the old church, there's a sanctuary. And then in the back, they built this fellowship, a really nice fellowship hall. And, and you walk in, it's like a you know, modern building. You walk in, there's like this little hallway before you actually get into the fellowship hall. And the hallway's, I mean, eight feet wide, maybe. And somebody had donated, they donated two things. Uh, they donated a little bench that nobody ever sat on, you know, because who's going to sit I mean, there's, a, there's 30 some odd chairs right there. Why are you going to sit in here? Anyway, nobody sat on the bench. It was there with fluffy pillows and things just to look nice, which is fine. And then they donated this gigantic painting of Jesus. I can't even look at Charles. If you don't know this, uh, Charles was the pastor at, at my last church before I was the pastor there. So he, he knows everything I'm saying. Um, and so along the way, you know, I, I was a, a baby pastor and I, and you think, you know, everything and you don't you learn, you don't know anything. Uh, and you, and I kind of ruffled some feathers, um, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. And, um, uh, people, some people got upset and they decided they were going to leave. One of my things that I said, I'm, we're going to take down the painting of Jesus. Um, that's another story for another reason. Uh, so they, anyways, they would want to take that away, but uh, they, they eventually decided that they wanted to go somewhere else to church. There's a, there's a good part of the end of the story, okay? Um, but they decided they wanted to go somewhere else for church. And so they, uh, they decided that because they were going to go somewhere else and that they were upset with some of the things that I was trying to do, that they were going to take the bench. <laughs> they donated the bench, and they were going to take the bench. And like spite. I'm like, I don't care, you know, like have the bench, you know, um, but it's, but it's that thing. It's like, well, my name's on it or aunt Billy, Billy Sue's name's on it. So I'm going to take it back when I'm not happy with what's happening here as though you owned it when you would give it to the church, just a pet peeve. So, um, it is the church of the living God. And this is why as a Baptist church, we are not a pastor run church. We're not a staff run church. We're not a deacon run church. We are a congregationally ruled church as the congregation should operate under the leadership of the risen Lord Jesus through his Holy Spirit indwelling each one of you. So what that means is that you, you, if we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, then you ought to be a temple of the Holy Spirit before you become a member of this church. This is why one of the reasons we when we come into the church and I just had this conversation with our we have a a connect class, right? For people who are interested in joining our church, we're doing that. So if that's you, if you're interested in membership and connecting more deeply with this church on as a member, I would encourage you to come and join us on Sunday mornings at 830 in the student chapel as we uh, go through. It's a four part class and then you're you're set free um, from it. But. We just had this had this conversation uh, that to be a member of the church, you need to be born again. 
This is, this is Baptist, church, Baptist churchology. Ecclesiology is the name for that. But the Baptist church doctrine 101. And it's not just Baptist church doctrine. I believe it is biblical church doctrine that in the New Testament church, it is made up of regenerate, born-again people. That's the only way that congregational church government works. But the problem is, when we let people into the church too quickly, without actually, do you have any evidences of grace in your life? But we get so, churches get so eager, right? Especially these days. Hey, we got to get as many people in the door as we, we can. For whatever reason, we got to get more and more people. And then all of a sudden you have a church members meeting, a membership, a business meeting, and you have a bunch of unregenerate people who are members and they have a vote. That's what turns churches sideways and sinks churches. Unregenerate people who believe they're regenerate, who believe they're born again, but they don't have any idea of Jesus. Not only do they not have any idea of Jesus, they have no life of Jesus in them. And you may have been in those meetings. I've been in those meetings. And this is why we have to be diligent. We have to be keeping watch over our souls and the souls of one another. This church belongs to the Lord Jesus. This is the church of the living God. The local church belongs to Christ. The universal church belongs to Christ. The invisible church belongs to Christ. The church in this age and in the future age and in the past age, the assembly of the the firstborn, all of them belong to Jesus. And we have to operate with a bent knee. You understand what I mean by bent knee? We surrender to what he says. And so more and more, we want to be a people that lives out what we see as he has given us his word. What does he say in the scriptures about who we are? What do we need to be about? And if you're a born again believer, then that should be your individual desire as well. How can my life come into greater conformity with the life of Jesus revealed in the word of God? And we as a church, how can our life together as household singular How can our life together be greater conformed into what he has said in the word of God? In terms of leadership, in terms of uh, mission, in terms of the way that we love one another, what we're about. We're about to talk about what the church is to be about momentarily. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. What else y'all got to do? It's Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. It's a joke, sort of. Don't look at your watch. Stop. Okay. Um, but that we, we should look at God's word and say, we want to steer ourselves in that direction. This is our, our final authority in faith and life, right? This is what our confession of faith says, by the way. This is our final authority. What God says, we do. What God says, we believe. We be, if we believe this about the Bible, God has breathed. This is the God-breathed inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient word of God. And it says the church belongs to him. So what we do here should be done in reference to him, in deference to him, in submission to him, and according to what he has said in his word, not according to some fanciful thing that we see in our minds, right? We are not at liberty. This is a little bit of a soapbox. We're not at liberty to create some image of God out of thin air. Recently, 
oh, I don't need to get into this. But recently there was this quick, quick little bloop and then we'll move on. Uh, there's a study that comes out. I think it comes out every year called State of Theology. Right. Is it every year? Every, every other year? Um, State of Theology, where it goes and polls people. And, uh, and it polls, you know, according to, you know, this percentage of evangelicals believe this. And it's really kind of depressing, right? It's just rather, rather depressing. Um, like, for example, like 43% of evangelicals believe that Jesus isn't God. Well, well how, do, how in the world are you an evangelical? I don't know what... The word is now bankrupt, apparently. Um, but really, the vast array of that, that, that survey is just, do you believe what the Bible says? But so often, like in that survey, hey, we make up a God and we, we come to the God of the Bible and we say, this is what God said. My God would never. My God would never do that. My God would never say that. Well, you are definitely right, ma'am. You are definitely right, sir, because your God is not the God of the Bible. When our concept and our image of God runs contrary to the image of God revealed to us in the Bible... You must bend the knee to what God has said. Do you understand? So it's the church of the living God. The household of God, the church of the living God, which is the, the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Now, just we're going to kind of pick up the pace a little bit. Throughout, the, throughout Paul's letters and really throughout the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, true, when Paul says the truth, it's shorthand for the gospel which is what he outlines in poetry form in verse 16. It's the gospel about Jesus, centers on Jesus. Uh, So that the church is tasked here. Remember, we're the household of God. We're defined by his grace. We belong to him. Our collective assets belong to him. It all belongs to him. It's all for him. We must come into conformity with what he says. And We're the pillar and support of the truth. I'm going to treat these in reverse order. The support, right? It is our job as the church to undergird and protect the gospel message. To make it sure and established in every generation. Every generation, the gospel message of the free grace of God and Jesus Christ comes under assault. And it is the church, not the academia, not parachurch ministries, it's not the Gospel Coalition. It's not Together for the Gospel. It's not Ligonier. It's not even whatever formulations of the Southern Baptist Convention we want to say. It is the duty of the local church body to hold fast and to support, to support, to protect the Gospel message of Jesus Christ. It's our duty to be the support of the Gospel. The, the support, and by the gospel, you could really say about who God is, about what God's doing in the world, about the nature of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God, that Jesus is exclusively the only way to be saved, that God has made man and wo- woman in his image, etc., etc. All these things wrap into when I say we need to be the support of the truth. It is our duty to protect it, to be vigilant over it. And this is why later on Paul will tell Timothy, Keep watch over yourself and over, and over your teaching. And, so, and by so doing, you will save both yourself and the ones that hear you. We have to be dutifully diligent to defend. I'm a Baptist preacher. There was a lot of alliteration right then. To defend and protect the gospel. Because remember, remember where these false teachers came from. 
The false teachers in Ephesus, they were not heretical paratroopers that parachuted into the city out of nowhere. They rose up from within. And so we must be diligent not only to say, hey, what's your life like? But what's your doctrine like? What are you teaching? What's being said from the pulpit? What's being said from Sunday school podiums, tables? What's being taught? What's being read? Because, dear ones, there's a whole, whole, whole mess of malarkey out there. And we have to be a people that protects the truth of the gospel. Secondly, the church is the pillar of the truth. What's a pillar do? We have some out here. They're columns, but what's a pillar do? Supports. All right, supports. Yeah, it lifts up high, right? Something that's on pillars is lifted up high. You know, some places things are on pillars for protection, right? If you have a house at the beach, you want it probably up in the, in the air so it, waters can go through it. Um, but you, you, it's for promotion. You have billboards on giant pillars, on giant poles to promote it. So our job is simultaneously, and sometimes we can get lost in one of the, we fall off the cliff on either side, right? Churches can. That we have to protect the gospel, but we also need to lift it high. Why on earth would you lift the gospel high? For everyone to know. When Jesus says, I'm going to be lifted up, and I will, in John chapter 12, I'm going to be lifted up and I will draw all men to myself. We must be about the business of promoting the gospel of Jesus. And I'm not saying you've got to have a gospel billboard. We drove up from Charleston yesterday and I made the comment to Sarah Beth that, uh, that I-26 between Charleston and Columbia has to be the most billboard evangelized stretch of interstate I've seen in my life. Have you all been down there lately? You know, gigantic billboards, various kinds, right? Um, and I'm not making a comment. I'm just, it's better than nothing. It's better than silence. But you should be, we should be lifting up the gospel of Jesus in our words and in our deeds, showcasing this is what Jesus is like. Why should we do this? So that every man, woman, and child, where they live, work, and play, can have repeated opportunities to hear, see, and believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They cannot hear, they cannot see, they will not believe if there is no promotion of the gospel in our lives. There was a day and time when this steeple was promotion enough. You have big steeple, big cross, hey y'all come. And dear ones, that was at least 30 years ago. We live in a different day where people, hundreds if not thousands of people, drive by this intersection right here. Literally, all of you have the arm strength to throw a rock and hit it. And they drive by and they do not care about our building. They don't care about our steeple. They don't care about our parking lot. They don't care about... They, it, is, it is just another fuzzy piece on their drive in or out from work or wherever else they're going. The promotion of the gospel, the bread and butter, meat and potatoes of the promotion of the gospel is not the programs of this local church. It is your life. Do you understand me? It is your life. 
If we're saying that the people that we are to reach, we want them to hear, see, and believe in Jesus Christ, where they live, work, and play, the only thing that's going where they live, work, and play is you. And what we do do as a local church body should be a supplement to that. If that's your meat and potatoes and your Brussels sprouts too, then what we do alongside is here's the here's your supplementation to help you get it done, to help equip you for the work, to help encourage you along the way and give you a place to invite people to say, hey, you want to grow and great? You want to hear more or do you want to come to this event? But you understand the difference. The promotion of the gospel happens among the members of the household. And the members of the household are the living stones that have been changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus. It is the gospel that has the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. That you should be a transformed person and be able to say, look at what Jesus has done. And for some people, they knew you back when, and they see you now. I can't tell you how many times, and I missed my, uh, my 20th, oh, so old, oh, my 20th year high school anniversary. I don't want to hear it. It's old, okay? It's just old. Don't, don't make me feel better. Let me wallow in my elderliness. Uh, <laughs> that I, I, we missed our reunion because of uh, COVID. It was 2020. I graduated in 2000 from high school. But when I bump into people from high school who knew me back when, and I say, hey, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for like 12 years. And, and it's just like jaw drop, right? I'm like, you Is he? This? And so they might even be a Christian. Be like, does God know what he's doing? That guy? I remember. The, and then, then it's the stories. I remember the, I was at your house this one time. And, blah, 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 blah. and I was like, thanks. You know, all the things I want to forget about how I dishonored Jesus. And you want to bring that up today. I appreciate it. But there's a promotion of the grace of God where we once were dead in our sins and trespasses. We once were foolish, Paul tells Titus. But God in his rich mercy has made us alive. And we have a story to tell. Dear ones, we must be about the protection and the promotion of the gospel. We need to get the gospel right. And we need to get the gospel out. And the first means, not the only, but the first means that the gospel gets out is you. Christian, so consider today, how can you lift up the gospel of Jesus tomorrow in your life and in your words? Who is it that needs to hear? And would you commit today, right, like right now? And in a moment when we respond and if you're saying, I've already believed in Jesus, I don't need to walk up front. Maybe you need to come and walk up front and lay this person down before Jesus asking that, you, that he would bring conversion in their heart. Who is the one person, I'm just saying one person that you know right now, uh, not some like somebody on distant shores, some unreached people group. We need to pray about them too. But who's the one person you know right now that's far from God, but close to you? That needs to hear and see Jesus in you. Who's that? You don't have to shout them out. But I want you to have that person on your heart. Because you need to promote the gospel. We as living stones put together for Christ's sake. We are to protect it and promote it.
So who is that person? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a mom or a dad, an aunt or an uncle or a cousin. Maybe it's some nephew or child or somebody else. A neighbor that you know, a friend for years. And would you begin to pray? Would you begin to pray that through your life and through the lives of all of God's people, that person would be surrounded by living billboards Say, look what Jesus can do. Look where Jesus met me in my weakest and he gave me strength. Look where Jesus met me in my filthiness and my brokenness and he put me back together by his grace. Look what Jesus did today in my family. And would they be surround hemmed in? And this is the goal. When we say every man, woman, and child, where they live, work, and play, the goal is that every single person in our community would not be able to go throughout their day without bumping into the presence of Jesus in his people in word and deed. That's a vision that's bigger than this church, by the way. But that's what we're praying for with gospel saturation. But it begins in us. It begins in us. So consider that person and lift them up to the Lord. Because we are called to protect it and promote it. This gospel of the Jesus who was revealed in the flesh, the living God, he was vindicated in the spirit. His resurrection is God's yes and amen to the final work of Christ. He is raised above all powers and principalities Upon his ascension, he is seen by the angelic beings as the resurrected and ascended Lord. And he is proclaimed among the nations. He was, he is, and he will be until he returns. Proclaimed among the nations. And get this. It's so past tense. It's, it's so true that the proclamation of the gospel is effective. You might not think it. You think of that person in your heart right now. They're too far. They're too hardened. They've heard me rattle on about this before. They've heard this person. They've seen this. They grew up in church. They're too hard. Dear ones, he was proclaimed among the nations and he was believed on in the world. Do not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God under salvation. It is in God's hands. The message of Christ is powerful enough to, to, to crack the hardest heart, to penetrate the most impenetrable mind and to bring life to the deadest heart. It is God's good news. Don't lose hope. Christ is taken up into glory, looking to the day when he will return again to judge the quick, the living and the dead. Are you ready for that day, dear one? And until that day comes, Christian, be about the king's business. As, as members of his household, members of his assembly, his church, a pillar and support of the truth. Be about his work. Lay down that commit today to pray for that one person every day. Just lay them before the Lord every day without fail. And when the day comes of your opportunity, seize it. Say, this is what Christ has done. You don't have to be perfect in it. Jesus is perfect. We're not. Be faithful. Some of you, maybe, maybe you don't know what this gospel is. You don't have good news in your life and you've been living in brokenness and despair. 
You've put on the face of religion, but you've never trusted Jesus. You've never surrendered. You keep coming to Christ with your abilities and with your works, saying, look at what I've done. Look at what I've done for you. Maybe today's the day when you need to lay down all of your works, all of your self-righteousness, and all of your sin, and you need to surrender to Jesus. I would love to pray with you, talk with you about that. In a minute, the steps will be open. If you want to lay that person down in prayer, say, God, would you rescue this person? Would you take away their heart of stone, give a heart of flesh? That's what our God does, y'all. And he has not done. The gates of mercy are open wide until Christ comes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the gift of Christ and new life in him. We thank you for your church that in your design, your plan A for reaching the world is your church. So would you give us grace to not be about our own business, but to be about our father's work. The work of our Lord Jesus, who is seeking and saving that which was lost. Will you do that today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? and respond.